Greetings, everyone. Welcome to RK Ministries podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the subject of a movie or documentary that's coming out on November the 12th. The movie is or documentary is 1946, The Mistranslation That Shifted Culture. And it's centered around a Greek term that the Apostle Paul used in a couple places in the New Testament, First Timothy chapter 1 and First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, since the word arsenikoites or arsenikoitai, the plural form of that word. And so I thought it'd be very prudent for us or for me to help those who listen to this podcast to understand this term and the meaning of this term and why it is not a mistranslation per se to have the word homosexuality refer to what arsenikoites means. So before we get into that, I thought uh, that just to remind you that if you have not liked this podcast, that you would please do so and uh, that you would subscribe to it and that you would share it and uh, that you would invite your friends to come to it and other content that we put on. Hopefully it will be helpful. If there are comments or ideas that you have, the content you would like to hear, just uh, send us a comment or let us know. I'll be posting this on Facebook as a link on my Facebook page so you can find it there, but you can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. And obviously if you're listening to it, you have already found it. So let's get into this discussion on this issue from the movie 1946 or documentary 1946 that'll be coming out in a couple of days from this podcast centered around the word arsenikoites that Paul uses in the New Testament. So the movie 1946, the the mistranslation that shifted a culture has to do with their premise uh, is this, and you can go find this on their website. They got a website called 1946, uh, the movie, and so you can go tr- you can go find this on their their website. And here's here's the premise. If you look at their website, here's the premise of what this movie is about. The movie claims, or the documentary claims, that the RSV translators of the Bible wrongly used or wrongly inserted the word homosexuals in the New Testament back in 1946. And so that insertion of that word has transformed how people look at uh, the issue of homosexuality. And here, uh, just reading on the the website, right, right. The, when you click on the page, there's going to be uh, a little screenshot that comes up that has this question. I call it their guiding question. I think this is what guides uh, this this documentary, or, or at least underlies why they made the documentary. The question is, what if the word homosexuality was never meant to be in? the Bible. And so as you can see already, their uh, their goal is to uh, cause you to think that this is a wrong way to look at the word arsenikoites, that it has nothing to do with homosexuality in the way we understand homosexuality today. Okay. Which, by the way, they will describe as loving, monogamous relationships, right, between two um, homosexual people, whether it be male, male, or female, female. Uh, and we'll talk more about all of this as we get into here. But that's kind of their underlying thesis or the underlying theme. 
and they've got uh, some background information that they give you up front, a kind of synopsis of, of what took place and uh, what they're trying to debunk. So here, here's what I, uh, got, I got from their website as the background story or the backstory. So they say that the first time the word homosexual appeared in any Bible was in the RSV or the Revised Standard Version, which was published in 1946. And in that version or in that translation, the RSV chose to use the word homosexual in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And we'll read about that text or we'll take a look at that text and the other 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll take a look at both of those in some detail in this podcast. And so they chose to use the word homosexual in there in lieu of the Greek words uh, Malakoi, which means effeminate or soft, and arsenikoitai. Uh, now, they don't tell you what uh, uh, other words were used before. I, I think it was the um, ASV or there may have been another version. They, they had the word sodomite in there. And then there's other words or phrases that are used in other translations today to describe the activity that Paul is talking about in in these two verses of question here. And, and don't miss that point. What Paul is talking about is an activity, an act of sinfulness that he describes in these passages. So it really doesn't matter. Uh, it's irrelevant what context that act takes place in, uh, whether it's in the monogamous, uh, homosexual, or loving relationships of the day. Uh, it is still the act that Paul is talking about, and that act in God's estimation or God's decree, I shouldn't say that, is uh, his estimation, but in God's decree, that act is sinful. And Paul makes that very plain in the text, and we'll we'll talk more about that as we go along. Uh, it says, uh, researchers agree today, though, these words translate loosely effeminate and pervert or sexual pervert, okay? So I guess that's what term they would rather use in their pervert, sexual pervert, and effeminate uh, rather than homosexuality, and, and they're trying to make a false di dichotomy uh, between the acts of sex and the category of uh, a lifestyle that people have chosen to to live and we'll we'll show how that really is irrelevant because it doesn't matter what we think today what matters is what paul was trying to communicate and is what happens in homosexual relationship uh what paul was trying to communicate as sinfulness and the answer is uh yes and we'll show that as we go through the text today all right so they go on the revive the 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 let me find my place back here. Okay. Uh, the decision to use the word homosexual instead of the accurate, accurate translation was voted on by the RSV committee. Uh, 1946 explores how this mistranslation ignited the anti-gay movement within American conservative Christians. Okay. So again, uh, it's all because of these translators chose to use the word uh, homosexual that American Christians uh, are against homosexuality. Well, I think it goes a little deeper than that because it's about the act and not the category of a group of people. But it, it, it goes without saying that the category of the group of those group of people are generally the ones who are engaged in this act that is called sinful. Well, there are some exceptions to that, and they bring some of that out in 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 this movie as well. But uh, 
<laughs> back to uh, their website, their, their evidence. Here's their evidence. Their evidence basically is that there's a 21-year-old seminarian, a seminary student, who saw this translation and the, he uh, and he wrote a letter to the um, uh, translating committee uh, saying, "Hey, you guys were wrong. You need to change this." And uh, apparently, one wrote back, and uh, about 20 years later, they actually changed what was in the what the translation was. They removed the word "homosexual" from from the RSV in 1971. Uh, so that was, uh, that was 25 years later. That was, that was the gist of their, their evidence And this guy. Apparently he was still alive at the, at the filming of this particular movie. He was a guy who, um, uh, who was studying theology and, but anyway, uh, so, uh, their claim is that because this young man saw that and Hey, he, he said, Hey, this is wrong that uh, he, he swayed a committee to ultimately 25 years later to change this word. But the word should never be there in the first place. And because of that, because it was there for 25 years, that it has caused culture, uh, Christian culture, to think that homosexuality is wrong. And the movie is here to write that era and to shed light on this mistranslation. And so we've got to understand how to um rebut that issue which really is not that difficult to do if you are interested in what Paul was actually saying and not trying to uh create a smokescreen to validate a lifestyle that you want to um uh say that is biblical so what is this all about this centers around one word that I've talked about it's really two greek words uh but it comes over in in Pauline writing in 1 Corinthians uh, 6 and in 1 Timothy 1 into one Greek word that Paul, in essence, coined. Coined is probably not an accurate description because he really didn't make anything up. He just come, he just put two words together to get across the idea that he was trying to convey. And those two words we're going to find have a uh, foundation in the Old Testament scripture which Paul would have been reading and so if you know anything about Greek there's a lot of times in, in Greek in the New Testament where words are merged together and, uh, whether it be prepositions a lot of times they'll put a preposition on the front of a word and it would begin to augment or enhance the meaning of that particular word but here Paul combines these two words together so in that sense he coined the phrase arsenokoites which comes from arsenos or arsarsane which means men and then it comes from koites which means to the bed to be in the bed with uh, so it's the idea behind it is men who lie with men and so a lot of the modern translations nowadays that's the phrase that they put in there men who lie with men or men who have sex with men because that's the idea behind this particular word that Paul was uh, using in the New Testament which again will show that he drew from the Old Testament uh, so I wanted to first give you some of the uh, the evidence that the pro 
gay Christian movement would put forth to debunk the idea that arsenocortes has anything to do with homosexuality uh, as we understand it today. And again, that all, all that is, is uh, that's just a false uh, proposition. It really doesn't matter what we what we understand in our culture today, or what they understand today in culture as it relates to homosexuality. What really matters is what was it that Paul was trying to communicate to the first century audiences to which he wrote, and then how should we understand what he was communicating to that first century audience? Because what Paul was trying to communicate is what the Scripture is saying. So that's what we need to understand, not how we think about homosexuality as a culture in our society today. So the first thing that, that are, these are not in any particular order, okay? Uh, these, these are things you can go, and predominantly what I, the place I found most of this was on a website called Christ, uh, Gay Christianity 101. So you can go to that website and you can find all this data and you can find their arguments or where, or why that arsenicoites is not uh, homosexuality as we understand it today and therefore it should not have ever been um, understood that way. And again, they would agree with this 1946 mo uh, documentary that it is uh, it's a mistranslation. And, and uh, one of the things that people bring out all the time is the idea that hey what paul was talking about in the new testament was not what we talk about today it had to do with pederasty and pederasty is the idea that there are men who are sexually attracted to young boys and so they will have sex with young boys well you know pederasty or pedophilia you might can label it as that uh, as well and that, those things did go on in the new testament era in the first century just like they go on today and that is an egregious sin uh as well and paul's were aware well aware of that and could have formed a an argument to uh, identify that as well if that was exactly what he meant to communicate to those um in his audience that day uh, the when he wrote these books but we're going to show again from the old testament i think that uh, Paul had a particular meaning he, he was getting across to uh, those he wrote to, to Timothy when he wrote and to the church at Corinth when he wrote. And then the other thing, or several things, just kind of bullet point. Uh, one is uh, the pro-gay Christians will say that this has to do with the idea of temple prostitution. Uh, in the Christianity 101, Gay Christianity 101 website, they, they cite Philo's uh, special laws uh, as proof that, hey, this had nothing to do with homosexuality. As we understand it today, it was merely about those temple prostitution uh, acts that were going on, those, those kinds of acts, those kinds of homosexual acts, I guess you could say, with, with male on male and uh, sex and that kind of stuff. Then they quote uh, something called the Acts of John 36, which talks about uh, arsenicoites has to do with uh, sodomy. Okay, and now you got to understand sodomy, and, and the, generally in our culture, the first thing we think about of sod sodomy is hey, um, anal penetration, right? And so. 
that generally happens, we think, men on men. Uh, but the idea behind sodomy is that the recipient could be either male or female. And therefore, it's not necessarily, as they would say, talking about uh, homosexuality as we understand it. Today, in this monogamous, loving relationship, again, they, they tie this, though, back to the issue of temple prostitution. That It was a particular uh, aspect of it. But again, all that's irrelevant. Even if it did mean that... Uh, it has no bearing on what Paul meant when he wrote those words, and that's what we've got to find out. But even if it did mean that in that context, Paul's dealing with an act, and the act that they're talking about is still sinful, no matter if it's just temple prostitution or within a, quote, loving, uh, monogamous, homosexual relationship. And that's the point we've got to, we've got to get across uh, in, in this understanding of, of what Paul is talking about and, and what this movie is trying to, um, trying to get us to believe. All right, then, uh, origin, they, they cite origin, Hippolytus and Eusebius, uh, in this idea of, and it's other aspect of sodomy because sodomy in a general sense is, non-reproductive sexual intercourse so in other words you can't get pregnant from this kind of sex and that means you know again they would say either if it's with a man or a female in this act of sodomy which relates to you know what we what we described it as earlier uh that it also would include uh, bestiality, you know, people having sex with animals. Uh, so they, they paint it in this broad picture and say, hey, that's what Paul was talking about. He wasn't talking about what we understand as homosexuality today, these, quote, monogamous, loving, homosexual relationships. And again, uh, to continue to reiterate this point, it really doesn't matter what we understand homosexuality as today. Paul's talking about the act that is involved in homosexual relationships. And that's the bottom line that we got to get to today. Then they bring up the aspect of the etymological fallacy which means you can't go back to the history of a word and know what that word means uh, at the time Paul was using it or at the time we're using it today because the history has little bearing on it and it may give you an idea of where the word came from but it has a little bearing on what it really means today well that's the point we want to know what it meant when Paul put it in the New Testament and that's that is the argument and that is the crux of our argument because it doesn't matter what we think it ought to mean today what really matters is what did Paul uh, have in mind when he wrote that that chose that word in first first Timothy uh, 1 and first Corinthians chapter 6 and that's the bottom line that you and I have to get to today and in their argument they quote Dr. Uh, Gagnon in uh, in defending this idea that hey people make too much of the etymological understanding of arsenicoite and so we we, we can't rely on that uh, we got to rely on the rest of history. Well, it really doesn't matter what what the rest of history says about the word outside of the New Testament, post Paul in particular. Why? Because Paul is probably one of the first uses of the word in the way it's used in one single word, Ashenakoite, and Paul had a particular meaning behind choosing that word. So the question then goes back to what was Paul trying to say? 
not what the rest of the world wants it to say or how the rest of the world used it later on. What did Paul have in mind when he used that word to uh, begin with? The word, uh, I guess the word homosexual is another part of this aspect, you know, because homosexual, the word homosexual is, is fairly modern, I guess, in its... Uh, in its birth first time that we probably seen the words 1869 and it was in a german pamphlet that was uh, dealing with the revocation of persian sodomite laws uh and so a german uh, guy uh, or uh, coined that phrase he changed a uh, normal word they would use in german to use what in english would be the word uh, homosexual to refer to the idea of male on male female on female sexual acts but obviously that has morphed into in our society this whole issue of lifestyle and a category of people and again to debunk that idea one more time it has no bearing on what Paul was talking about. Even if Paul didn't have any understanding or concept of a monogamous, quote, monogamous loving relationship in the homosexual ideas or a category of people who were called homosexual in the sense that that was their lifestyle, that that was how they were created. Of course, Paul would never have that understanding. But that has no bearing on what Paul was trying to communicate in this um in the use of this word so um all of this all of these arguments in my opinion are are bogus arguments they're a big smoke screen to try to take the attention off of how we really do bible interpretation how we really do uh hermeneutics and exposition of text of scripture and that really is the crux of it uh, i can't make people believe what the bible says all i can point out to you is what the bible actually says and ultimately it's up to god to change the hearts and minds but you and i as believers need to be able to look at these texts when people bring them up or bring up this issue or when this movie hits uh, this document documentary hits the screens here in a couple days and you start seeing it all over social media uh the idea is going to be hey you know you christians were wrong the whole, all along the bible was misinterpreted and so how do we deal with those issues okay and we we have i think the simplest it's not hard it's very simple uh, we have a simple way of showing hey this is what paul actually meant and uh whether you believe that or not that's that's uh you know that's not that's not my uh, ability to make you believe it but you know but this is what paul meant whenever he uh chose to coin these or chose to use that particular word arsenicoite as it relates to the act of male-on-male -male, uh sin in particular now, there's one other passage in the new testament in romans chapter one that is probably the exclusive passage that deals with the idea of female sexual female homosexuality which we won't uh, delve into today but it is there in romans chapter one where the the women left the natural use of the man just like the man left the natural use of the woman so it deals with the issue of both male on male and female on female uh sexuality or sex which is homosexuality or lesbianism 
It's, but the Bible's very clear on it. And, and even before we get into the other text, Jesus is very clear on the issue of marriage as it relates to the, the uh, concept of homosexuality or gay marriage or even just in general human, human relationship. Because how did Jesus deal with marriage? Jesus dealt with marriage by going all the way back to Genesis. And when he went back to Genesis, he grounded marriage in the created order. God made them male and female. And he grounded it in this idea that a marriage is to be between a man and a woman for a lifetime. Because the man will should leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And they shall become one flesh. This idea of this intimate sexual reunion that they would have. And from that one flesh union would be the 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 process of procreation children would come and god would have godly offspring from those who are righteous and followed after him and raised their children in the admonition of the lord and that ultimately in turn is a a picture of what it is to be uh, in relation to god through jesus christ it's a, it's a picture or a symbol of the of christ and his church in that intimate relationship that is there so jesus has dealt with this issue as well he might not have used the term homosexuality or arsenicoite or sodomite or whatever you want to put in there he he didn't use any of those terms but he clearly defined the relationship between a man and a woman and the natural order of societal uh, function but that's based on the fundamental element of the nuclear family so the Bible is very clear on this issue. Uh, people who are unclear on it are people who are clouding the water themselves to try to validate a lifestyle that is contrary to what uh, God's word says. So with, with all that said, I think we probably should get into some of the texts that we have to look at today. First uh, Timothy 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter Six is where the the word occurs, the word arsenicoite. So what, what did Paul actually say? And again, I'm, I'm going to read from the ESV translation uh, of this passage. And in, in 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 are the pertinent passages in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just but for the for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murders for murderers the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality there's your word arsenicoitis uh in the plural form men who practice homosexuality uh, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So there's Paul's use in First Timothy of the term arsenicoites. It's in the plural form, arsenicoites, uh, having to do with men who practice homosexuality or men, as we'll see, who lay with men in bed, have sex with men in bed. Then First Corinthians 6, 9 is the other uh, reference that uh, gives arsenicoites and in first corinthians 6 9 paul says or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality now the phrase 
is exactly the same in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 1 Timothy 1, 10 as it relates to the English, men who practice homosexuality. In 1 Timothy 9 or 1, 10, it is the single word arsenokoites. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, there's actually a phrase uh, that is there that is translated into uh, this uh, nor men who practice homosexuality, but it includes uh, two Greek, two primary Greek words. Um, ute is is the word nor. Uh, ute malakoi, which is effeminate or soft, and ute uh, arsenokoitai, which is again the idea of men who lie with men in bed, men who have sex with men in bed and so paul was in the esv decided to translate that just by saying that hey every bit of that represents the act of homosexuality and so just before we get into the rest of the the scripture the esv is telling us that hey malakoi and arsenikoi tastes in this sense go together uh, malakoi being effeminate men uh and so the idea is the thought is out there there are there are those who believe that paul was giving both the the uh passive and the uh and the aggressive to use a lack of a better term the aggressive actors in homosexuality are the 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 penetrator and the receiver if you, you want to use that kind of language uh there and so that whole aspect of it, they were showing both sides. And Paul was, what, what the SV translators are saying in using, combining those two words in this one phrase associated with practicing homosexuality is doesn't matter which one you are, uh, both of them are the sinful parts uh, of this act of homosexuality or men having sex uh, with men. So, the question is that that's exactly what Paul says. Okay, he says that the these are men who are. If you don't like the word homosexuality, we'll take it out of there. Men who have sex with men, men who lay in the bed with men. Okay, which describes uh, part of what happens in a homosexual relationship. Okay, and the same thing in First Corinthians six nine. This is what he is saying: men who have sex with men, men who lay with men, and the way we describe that today in our society is through homosexuality. It is the act uh, that occurs in a homosexual relationship. Okay, and so that's what Paul was saying. So where did Paul get this from? Because like I've already said, this is probably these two occurrences are, are the first two times that it is really seen in in Greek literature. Now, there's some times that happens after that. There may be one instance before this that somebody used something like this, but this seems to be uh, something that Paul put down for the first time in these two places in Scripture and. So what does Paul mean? Because we can't we we can't really go back to secular uh, Greek literature to find out what Paul meant. Where did Paul get this from? Where did he get this term arsenikoites from? Well, it's rather obvious where Paul got this term arsenikoites from. He got it from the Old Testament. And now I know the Old Testament. Hey, written in Hebrew, right? Well, yeah. Well, there was a translation of the Old Testament. In uh, somewhere in the 300s BC, 
that is called the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And what you will find out if you do your own research is that Paul and most of those who wrote in the New Testament, when they quote from the Old Testament, they are quoting from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. Now, Paul could read the Hebrew and he could read Greek. He could write Greek and write Hebrew. But he, the Bible that Paul used predominantly, the Bible that the New Testament church used predominantly would have been the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the New Testament. And so if you go back into where these words come from, which is in the uh, holiness code of God, God gave through Moses in Leviticus chapter 18 all the way through uh, Leviticus chapter 20 uh, is where the pertinent chapters are that deal with this particular uh, these particular phrases arsenas um, and uh, koite or koitain arsenas and koitain and so in Leviticus chapter 18 through 22 what Paul is or God is laying out through Moses is hey here is a list of sins that took place in the nations in which used to inhabit the land that you are uh, living in and these nations were drawn out they are thrown out they were vomited out in other words God says Israel was used as a vehicle of judgment to throw these nations out because of their sinfulness and part of that sinfulness was this idea of men who lay with men and have sex with men and then God goes on to say this is how you're going to live in relation to me in this place that I have given you. And part of the prohibition will be, hey, you don't participate in the act of men laying with men and having sex with men in any shape or form. And there are a lot of other codes in there. And, and again, people were going to try to trip you up and trip us up and say, if you don't believe in that, then why are you still eating shellfish? And, and, uh, you know, why, why do you have, uh, you know, engravings on your skin or, you know, all kinds of things that they'll, they'll bring up about that. And the, the, the real argument for that is there are ultimately three aspects to Jewish law. And we don't have time to get into every aspect of that, but just in a very simple way, there is there are ceremonial laws which have to do with the idea of how uh, Israel would worship the Lord through their ceremony, their religious rituals that God had prescribed for them to worship, which we all know as Christians, or I say we all, which Christians know that those ceremonial laws in that sense of how God, how Israel came to worship God and all the feasts and festivals and sacrifices was ultimately fulfilled in the person Jesus Christ. So they're not binding on us today. And then there were the aspect of uh, civil laws, uh, which uh, was how Israel was to live as a theocracy, as a nation among the other nations in that world. And it, and it had to do with the food laws. You, you eat this and you don't eat that. Or uh, had to do with their, their tithe, which was a form of their taxation that God would use on them. So you had those civil laws, which in, included those things about don't eat you know, certain kinds of food. 
we know that those are no longer binding on us because we see in the New Testament that God, that, that Jesus, in fact, uh, in his vision to Peter, uh, he proclaimed that, hey, that, that's over with. Don't call unclean what I have called clean. Go kill and eat, right? In that vision that Peter had on the rooftop. And uh, ultimately, Jesus tells us, hey, he says, it's not what goes in a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of him that defiles him. So Jesus has debunked himself these idea of this cultural uh, civil law. And so that leads to the third aspect of God's law, which is God's moral law, the Decalogue, what we understand as the Ten Commandments. And here's the reality of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were binding on all humanity. It transcended um, culture. It transcends geography. Uh, God's law, God's moral code is binding on all of humanity. And as a matter of fact, in the New Testament, nine out of 10 of those uh, 10 commandments are mentioned again in association with uh, how we ought to live as believers in the church. The only one that's not mentioned directly related to the church is the Sabbath day again. But the premise of that law, the, the underlying concept of that law is still maintained by believers today to set aside a day that we honor and worship uh, the Lord. We do it on the Lord's day. When the Lord rose again from the dead, we celebrate uh, that resurrection every single Sunday, not just on Easter Sunday. And I tell you all this, to, to help frame our understanding of what we're about to get into in these texts because what we're going to find out in the New Testament is Paul is drawing, is drawing from this moral code, these Ten Commandments, and in the midst of his drawing from these Ten Commandments and listing out uh, representations of the sinfulness that's associated with breaking those Ten Commandments, that's where we find the context of uh, 1 Timothy, and I think that's where we'll find some of the context of 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, nine as as well. So the two texts back in Leviticus is verse Leviticus eighteen twenty two. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And now I know you can't see what I'm seeing, but <coughs> excuse me. You can get online and you can look it up. Uh, and you can find the Greek Septuagint. You can probably find a parallel. Uh, 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 an interlinear version of it and if you do that here's what you're going to find in the underlying greek as it relates to the septuagint this is how the greek the 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 translators that translated the hebrew into the greek this these are the words that they use and in this he says and and then the word meta which is with and it's arsenos and then you have the word u not um they say and Koitain Gunaikos. So the idea is that men should not lie with men in bed, that's the koite, uh, as they do with women, that's the gunakos in that phrase. So Paul in this Paul, I, you got to believe Paul has this in mind because of what we're going to see in 1 Timothy when we go through that text. And he's drawing from this idea where these two words in the Septuagint, they're only separated by two Greek words uh, in the Septuagint. And the idea is, as it's rendered in the English, these, this is talking about men who lie with men in bed committing a sexual act. 
And then the one where Paul, it may be the immediate context where Paul draws this together. At least it's got to be in his mind. If you go to Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 13, verse, Leviticus 20 and verse 13 says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both them both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. In other words, they're guilty for this sin that they have uh, committed. It's, it's, it's upon them. And, uh, so if you look at this passage, the term, uh, the, all the terms are there. We saw in that first phrase. The phrase goes, kaios on koimethe meta arsenos koitain gunakos. And so we see in here again, men arsenos with men, that's the term meta arsenos with men, lying with men. And then koite, again, the, the idea behind that word is to lay in bed. And those two words are right next to one another in this passage. Arsenos, koitain. And then you have the word for woman, gunakos. Men should not lie with men as they lie with a woman. And so these words being right next to one another, you can see how Paul, the picture's there, plain as day. You can see how Paul would have grabbed hold of those words and he could have put that together to, to make a word that represents this act that is being described in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, and Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. And so again, drive home that point. It is the act of men lying with men and the act of men lying with men in both passages committing sex, okay, or engaging in sex. So it is this sex act that Paul has in mind, which is an abomination to the Lord. It is a sinful act that Paul has in mind. And so he grabs that idea from the Septuagint and he brings it almost over verbatim into uh, the Greek, except he just combines it into one word, which he coined as arsenikoites, rather than having two separate words. And so you see how it's not impossible for Paul to have made that leap because Paul was a Jew of Jews. He knew the law, right? He had a pedigree to understand this law and he would have had that in the forefront of his mind when he was talking about these issues over in Timothy and in first Corinthians. So let's look at that. That brings us to the place. I think where we can look at what Paul was communicating to the particular audiences that he was writing to in first Timothy chapter one, the, the pertinent text again is, is first Timothy one, really nine and 10, 10 is the verse that has the word arsenicoites in it, but we got to look at the context in which Paul was writing this in first Timothy one, we'll begin in verse one and go through verse 11, because Paul is making a point to uh, Timothy when he's writing this letter and a point that Timothy should endure uh, and become implanted in him and a point that he would make to uh, congregations as he proclaimed this truth uh, to them. So uh, I don't know if you have your Bibles out or have your digital device out and you can get to 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 1 through 11, but let's begin reading in that text and we'll just comment on it as we go through. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. 
Man, we could stop and preach on that passage already about Jesus and, and uh, God, our Savior in Christ Jesus, our, our hope. But that's not the point of this podcast. So he goes on. He says he's writing to Timothy. Uh, my true child in the faith. In other words, Timothy was one that Paul had, um, in essence, had, had been impactful in uh, leading to the Lord, to use our vernacular today. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I urge you when I was going to, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So this is about sound doctrine and the teaching of sound doctrine and to uh, call out those who are false teachers, the teaching false doctrine. Verse four, now to devote themselves, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God, that is by faith. In other words, don't get caught up in the traditions of men. Don't get caught up in the traditions of Judaism again. Stay with the sound doctrine that you have been taught by Christ through us, through this gospel message. Uh, which ultimately was about what God was doing in redemptive history from the very beginning, Genesis chapter one, and what will culminate in Revelations, uh, Revelation, excuse me, chapter uh, twenty-two, the culmination of the age and ultimately the return of Christ and the and the new heaven and the new earth. So be true to the gospel is what he's saying. Verse five: The aim of our charge is love. Don't miss that point. Okay, this is what Paul is doing. With Timothy, our charge is not to berate. Our charge is not to uh, belittle, not to make people think they're second-class citizens or second-class Christians. Paul says our charge is out of love. And you and I need to understand that, that love speaks truth. And that's what Paul's about to do. He is about to speak truth to these issues. And so you and I, if we follow Paul's example, must speak truth to the end the the issue of sin, sinfulness in our society and in our community and in our family if we want to if we want to be people who love our neighbor as ourselves and so Paul says his charge is out of love and he goes on verse 5 the aim of our charge is love that issues for, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith Certain persons, verse 6, by swerving from these, in other words, this pure heart, this good conscience, and this sincere faith, and these faults, or these, the true doctrine, says these people who have swerved from that have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So, What's underlying what Paul's about to say? What's underlying this this charge he's making in love? It is their mishandling of the law of God. And by the law of God, in this case, Paul is referring to the Decalogue. And I think we're going to show how he bears that out in this text. So these people are mishandling the law of God. And just as a side note, you know, we, we, we often want to throw the law out, right? We throw it out with the, with the, throw the baby out with the bathwater because we say law bad, grace good. Well, grace is good, but guess what? Paul's going to remind us in this text that 
the law is good as well. And the law has an appropriate place in our presentation of the gospel. And in fact, in Romans chapter eight, Paul reminds us that whenever the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us as believers, that we, he comes to indwell us so that he equips us so that we can, the law can be fulfilled in us. So we're not separated from this idea of living a holy, righteous light in light of the moral code of God. As a matter of fact, as believers, for the first time in our life, when we come to faith in Christ, we have the ability to live in accordance with the law. And that doesn't mean we do it perfectly all the time, but uh, we are called to live in light of this moral code. And that's what Paul's challenging here. These people are using the law in an unlawful, uh, an un- inappropriate way. And then he's going to explain some of that to us. So verse seven, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Verse eight, now we know that the law is good. And then he gives the qualifying statement. How is the law used in a good way? He says, if it's used lawfully. And ultimately the law is used to point people to the fact that they are in, indeed breakers of the law. They are indeed sinners who need a savior. And so verse nine, he goes on understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, okay, all those are the same group of people. And then here's where Paul does something very interesting. In the middle of verse 9, he begins to get more specific about what it means to be ungodly, sinners, unholy, and profane. And the way he does that is he begins to tick off the elements of the moral code, the Ten Commandments. He begins to outline for us examples of sins that relate to specific uh, commandments that are found in the moral code. And he begins with the second table of the law, and he begins with the fifth commandment. And listen to how Paul does this. He says, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, well, that is the fifth commandment. And it relates to the idea of honoring your father and your mother. And you can find that in Exodus chapter 20 in verse 12. As a matter of fact, Exodus chapter 20 has the whole list of the the 10 commandments as we understand them, the, the moral code of God. And so he goes to the fifth commandment and says, hey, this is what it looks like to be ungodly, unholy, uh, profane and sinners, those who don't other their, honor their mother and father. And here's an example of this. This is those who strike their mothers and their fathers. And then he says, for murderers, again, that's the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not murder, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. So again, what does it look like to be ungodly, sinner, unholy, profane? A person who breaks the fifth commandment, uh, exampled by striking their father and mother, a person who murders some mother, excuse me, and a person who murders someone, uh, breaking the sixth commandment. Well, what else does it look like? He says the sexually immoral, that's porneia, porneia, uh, where we get the word pornography. So it has to do with all kinds of sexual sinfulness. Uh, and then he ties in with that the idea of men who practice homosexuality. That's the word arsenokoite. 
uh, Arsenal Cortez, uh, Arsenal Cortez, in this particular uh, as, uh, passage, Arsenal Cortez. So what is he saying? He's tying this in with the idea of thou shalt not commit adultery, the seventh commandment. And what does he say? All of these sexual activities, sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sin in whatever form it takes, including adultery or just uh, the general idea of sexual promiscuity or sex with uh, two unmarried people having sex together or a man having sex with a man. All of those aspects are sinful in, in relation to the seventh commandment. And anyone who engages in any of those acts of sex are breaking the seventh commandment. And so Paul, again, drawing from Leviticus 18, drawing from Leviticus 20, where we have arsenase and coitane right there together, arsenase and coitane right there together. He puts those two words together, bringing over that concept from the Old Testament that God says was an abomination, and he ties it directly to the breaking of the seventh commandment of God. And so all of those acts of sexuality, and again, I don't think in, in our day, you know, people have this idea that we break it out to use as a battering ram against homosexuality just because that word is there. Well, no, every aspect of, sin, of sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is an act of sin against God's command, God because it's breaking the seventh commandment. And so this is pointed to everyone who engages in sex outside of the biblical idea of a marriage between a man and a woman. The only reason it seems as though uh, it is used as a battering around against homosexuality is because homosexuality is at the forefront. Uh, it it is, it is the, the captain today of this idea of sexual promiscuity in our world. You know, in the 60s, it was a free love movement, right? Sex with whoever and whenever and whatever. And that's morphed into this idea of now the champion of that kind of move, movement and licentiousness is, is homosexuality. And it's, it's continuing to move, right, uh, in, the, in this whole idea because we're moving into transgenderism and then on, on the sidelines all right, waiting to get into the game right now is the idea of pedophilia, okay, or minor attracted persons, which will be part of that plus on the end of that alphabet mafia uh, acronym that's coming out. So all of this has to do with sinfulness against God. And right now, it just seems that homosexuality is in the forefront because homosexuality was the champion of this idea of sexual freedom uh, to love whoever you want to love and marry whomever you want to marry uh, in our culture. And so, yes, yeah, the hot topic and hot button of the term. But Here's the, here's the deal. What's Paul describing in this act? He's describing men who have sex with men. There's no, there, there's no ambiguity in what Paul is saying. And scholars, you know, honest biblical scholars will have to tell you that there's no ambiguity of what Paul is talking about. You may not like what Paul is saying. You might not want it to be called homosexuality the way we, we understand homosexuality as a culture today, loving, quote, loving monogamous relationships. But even in those loving monogamous relationships, men have sex with men if they're in a, in a male-to-male homosexual relationship. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about in this text. And Paul is saying because of God's law, that is 
sin. So there's no ambiguity in what Paul is saying in this te- text, and he's and he's tying it inextricably with the Ten Commandments, with the moral code of God. And he goes on, enslavers and in, is the next word after that. These enslavers is tied to the idea of um, uh, the eighth commandment. And then uh, liars, you know, thou, thou shalt not steal, enslavers, thou shalt not steal. And the greatest aspect of stealing is to steal someone and put them under your servitude. Um, thou shalt not uh, steal. Um, and then liars, and again, don't bear false witness. The ninth commandment, Exodus twenty sixteen, um, perjurers, and um, the tenth commandment, Exodus twenty seventeen, and whatever else is contrary to the to sound doctrine. So, what underlies Paul's sound doctrine? <coughs> Underlying Paul's sound doctrine is a firm understanding of the moral code of God and how that relates to how people ought to live in this world in light of the redeeming work of Christ in their life. And those who use that in an unlawful and inappropriate way are sinning against God when they when they misrepresent the sound doctrine of God's word. That's what Paul was doing in this text and he tied to this issue of homosexuality men having sex with men as a direct violation of god's law in the seventh commandment and so that leads us to first corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 11 and again the background is the same right the background is still the same. The background is that Paul, drawing from Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 20, from, from the moral code of God, Paul, drawing from that, brings arsenase and, ars- and, and coitain together to, to coin a phrase to express the act of sinfulness that God was talking about in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20, male sex males having sex with males and so let's go to first corinthians chapter uh, six verses nine through eleven and incidentally and prior to this in in corinth paul is challenging them on the issue of incest you remember the gentleman who married his uh stepmother and that was incest and that was a violation of this moral code of god again you can find that same idea in leviticus chapter uh, 18 i believe it is so paul carry on that same idea that he's as he's writing to the corinthians and so he says beginning in verse 9 Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now, he's about to describe what it is to be unrighteous. And again, he's drawing on the ultimate idea of what righteousness looks like. Righteousness looks like what God has described in the Ten Commandments, in the moral code. God has described how we ought to relate to him because of who he is and his character and how we ought to relate with one another. That's what righteous living looks like. And he's about to give us examples of those who are unrighteous, those who are ungodly, as he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. But here in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, again, back in verse 9, it says, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, 
nor adulterers, nor men who make, who practice homosexuality. And again, we've already talked about that phrase in the introductory matter. That phrase here, while it is the same in the ESV translation in the English as it is in First Timothy, uh, chapter one, verse ten really has in it the idea of malakoi, which is effeminate or soft, and arsenikoitai, which has to do with the idea of men who have sex with men. And we've made the argument. There are people who will argue against this, but you got to understand, Paul ties them both together and says, hey, this is sinfulness. Malakoi, whether you separate the ideas out or not, malakoi is sinfulness and uh, arsenikoitai is sinfulness. And again, and there are those who believe, and I think rightly so, that Paul is making this assertion that this is both the uh, passive and aggressive uh, agents in this act of men who have sex with men, the giver and the receiver, if you will, of those who have uh, of men who have sex with men. And that act, whether you are the aggressor or whether you are the receiver, and aggressor may be not the, the right word to use, but whether you're the one who is doing the giving or the one who's doing the receiving, they are is sinful. That act is what Paul is driving at. That act is sinful. And then he goes on again. A lot of this has to do with the Ten Commandments. Look, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So this, this is a direct uh, violation of the moral code of God and this is not a lifestyle that would be indicative of someone who had been truly redeemed by Christ Jesus. Now, does that mean people will not have uh, any uh, temptations to improper sexuality? Well, no, because people are always tempted to improper sexuality, whether they're male or female, whether it's heterosexual or whether it's homosexual. Uh, people have those temptations. People who are redeemed, who don't have a temptation to homosexuality, have temptations toward other things. So it doesn't mean that we're never tempted to those things, but it means that our heart and our desire is to be obedient to God and to resist whatever temptations come our way. And the Lord has given us a way to accomplish that through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And in the work of sanctification that goes on. But here's here's the point that you and I have to get to as Christians as we get ready to engage this conversation, in this conversation with those who inevitably will bring up this topic uh in the world in just a few days. It'll be it'll be probably on the forefront uh, as people begin to see it and it begins to unfold. So here's what we've got to get to, and it's it's the reason that First Corinthians we use First Corinthians at the end, because Paul makes a very powerful declaration in verse eleven. Okay, <clears throat> the movie won't quote verse eleven. Okay, the documentary won't won't mention verse eleven. I hadn't seen it yet. I'm just assuming. Okay, uh, but the movie won't uh, probably won't quote verse 11 because look what look at what paul says in verse 11 in first corinthians 6 first corinthians 6 11 paul makes this profound declaration he says and such were some of you and such were some of you some of you used to be Okay, that's the implication, but you're not anymore. Some of you used to be, 
sexually immoral. Some of you used to be idolaters. Some of you used to be adulterers. Some of you used to be men who practice homosexuality. Some of you used to be thieves. You used to be greedy. You used to be drunkards. You used to be revilers. You used to be swindlers. But now you're not because something radical has taken place in your life. And what is that something radical? Look, that something radical is in the next phrase in verse 11. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That's redemption. Some people were those things, but now they have been redeemed by Christ Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit, and they are no longer those things anymore. Now, that movie won't tell you anything about that. The world don't want you to understand that truth, that there are people who used to be gay who are no longer gay because they've been redeemed by God Almighty. And that will be considered uh, hateful speech, right? Canada's already banned the idea that people can be uh can transition from homosexuality back into heterosexuality or or leave that lifestyle that conversion therapy is what they call it and it's probably coming our way very soon but you and i need to understand that god teaches there is salvation even from homosexuality people are not in this sense they're not born that way and that they can never escape it okay i'll grant the idea that people are born that way because all people are born sinners because david makes that very clear in psalm 51 right that i was conceived in in birth my mother conceived me right i was conceived in sin and in, in iniquity not that the act she she uh that not in the act of him uh, of them creating him through sex but which was a sinful act because of bathsheba and david uh but what he's driving at is i have a sinful nature i've inherit inherently am am a sinner because of the fall of adam in the garden of eden so all of us are sinful and paul makes that very clear in romans chapter three there's none righteous there's no not one there are none who do good there are none who seek after god there's none who understand we we are totally depraved is what paul is saying so we're all born in that way of of being a sinner and prone to the sins of the flesh which includes but is not exclusive to the idea of homosexual relationships but all of that is sin but here's the good news the good news is god can redeem us god can save us from our sinfulness whatever it is god changes us in the inner man in the inner being and we become a new creation in christ jesus that's the point we got to carry this conversation to right is is, as much as I, i would love to win an argument and prove a point and and drive a point home and squash my enemy with a point you and i need to understand that there's a greater goal uh in in relation to our sharing the truth you remember how paul started off we're doing this why because we love these people we love you and we want to express to you the truth in love and and get you out of these false doctrines and these false ideas we want to point you to jesus 
Jesus Christ and the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. That's where we got to carry this conversation. We've got to be ready when this conversation arises because when somebody uh, asks us a question about this movie or asks us a question about this word, we need to be ready to say, hey, uh, you're talking about that 1946 movie, right? You're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. You're talking about 1 Corinthians. Or excuse me, First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, and First Timothy chapter one, verses nine and ten. And then we need to be able to say, "Hey, yeah, this is this this is what you're talking about," and share with them what Paul meant by those words. And 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 if you can, you know, go down through it with the Ten Commandments, like we did in Timothy. But here's what we got to get to: we got to get to First Corinthians chapter six and verse eleven. And such were some of you. We've got to bring people to the cross. We've got to bring people to Christ. We've got to bring people to see that God can redeem a lost soul and transform us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We've got to bring people to the gospel. That's got to be the goal of the conversation, not just to beat back or beat them down. All right. It's about and not winning, winning an argument, which all those things, you know, it's fun to win an argument. But the ultimate goal is to point them to Christ. And we have the truth to do that. And then the other side of this is what you've got to realize is you can't make anybody believe anything I've just said or anything that you find out from your own research. You can't make any one person believe that. You, you cannot save one person yourself. And God's not called you to save a person, though. God has called you to engage a culture. God has called you to share the truth. He's called you to share the gospel. This can be a bridge to, to sharing the gospel. God's called you to do that. And then what you have to do after you do that, you've done what God has called, required you to do. You have to turn it over to God and you pray. That's what you have to do. And then God is responsible for saving uh, that person's soul. That's his work, not your work. You're not the Holy Spirit. You can't save them. You can't convict them. All you can do is share the truth of God. And in sharing the truth, the Bible tells us that people come to faith. How? By hearing the words of Christ, right? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. So if we'll be faithful to engage our culture in these questions that will arise and we will point them to this truth and with the intention of leading them to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the redemptive work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I think that God will honor that and God will bless that. So hopefully this was uh, useful to you uh, and encouraging to you. Uh, you can go find other people who can probably explain it a little bit more crisply uh, than I can or I have. Um, one that I would recommend to you would be Dr. James White uh, from Alpha and Omega Ministries. Uh, he has dealt with this issue and dealt with this movie uh, that's coming out and the word Arsenokoites uh, on his uh, Alpha and Omega Ministries uh, show. And uh, there's a sermon out there you can go listen to from Apologia Church where he goes through some of this uh, as well. Uh, and there are others out there. I know Kevin DeYoung has a little uh, a little snippet on there about this word uh, on on YouTube, and there are many others I'm sure have, who have addressed this. And so, avail yourself of all those opportunities to hear this truth and be able to articulate it in in the best way that God has given you the ability to do. But the more you have it settled in your mind and your heart, the better able you are to communicate it to other people. And 
the better able you are to not get caught off guard when somebody brings these questions to you because they inevitably will and we need to be ready to uh, use that as an opportunity to lead them to uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, until next time, hope everyone has a blessed uh, evening uh, or blessed day, whatever time it is that you're listening to this and that God will uh, richly bless you and that you will be faithful to what it is that God has called you to be and do in the context in which he has planted you.